Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I want to invite you to come and worship with us every Sunday at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And uh, we are doing Drive-In Church until the end of this year. And then we will conclude Drive-In Church. Our last Drive-In Church for this year will be on Christmas Eve, December the 24th. I want to invite you to come to one of our two Christmas Eve services. The first one is going to be at 3 o'clock. Now, that's going to be the drive-in service. And uh, so if you feel more comfortable staying in your car, uh, we are praying that the weather will cooperate. But you just pull into the back parking lot. And uh, our parking lot attendants, they'll guide you back there. And uh, just go ahead and park. And you can listen from the uh, comfort of your car as the message is given and as we sing praises unto the Lord on Christmas Eve. So that'll be at 3 o'clock. And then if you prefer coming inside at 5 o'clock, we're going to do a candlelight service inside. And so I hope that you'll come and be part of that. So worship the Lord as we celebrate Christmas and all these wonderful holidays that come at this time of the year. Well, I want to spend just a few minutes today talking about why I love the church, right? Why do I love the church? You know, the church is the bridegroom of Christ. Christ died for the church. And as you look at what the Bible has to say about the church, uh, she is always referred to as a she, right? Because the church is married to Christ. And I love the church because the church is where we can give together. Now, there's something that I've learned about giving. I've found that everybody is giving something. Some are giving up. Some people, their gift is quitting. Some give others a hard time. Some give gifts of criticism, gossip, division. Uh, Some give unsolicited advice and unwarranted and unwanted comments. Some give little to nothing, but everyone is giving something. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Now, as we back up that phrase, give, Jesus is literally saying, give, and it will be given unto you. What you give is what's going to be given unto you. So if you give criticism, you're going to get criticism. If you give little to nothing, you're going to get little to nothing. If your gift is quitting, you're going to constantly be fighting and dealing with people that always want to quit. If your gift is giving others a hard time, you're going to be constantly be receiving a hard time. If your gift is bringing criticism and gossip and division, you're going to discover that your life is filled with drama. Last night, I spent some time in my small group, and as we were finishing up our time together, we got talking about why is it there's a certain segment of the population that is drama-given. I mean, they are constantly filled with drama. I said, you know, some people are so dysfunctional that dysfunction has become function for them. They will stir up the drama because they're not used to living in a place where there's no drama. They may hate the drama, but they can't help themselves but to stir it up because they're accustomed to being in the middle of drama. That is their uncomfortable, comfortable place to be. Well, Jesus says, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, somebody said this, a guy by the name of Ben Franklin. He said, money has never made man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature that produces happiness. As a matter of fact, he says, the more of it that you have, the more you want. 
You know, we're living in a day and age where I think many of us would think that kids are really, this generation is really bent on constantly receiving, but not so much on giving. I think that's kind of a common assumption that today's kids care more about getting than giving. But a viral video has been going out, and this particular video shows a child. And uh, this child loves his Lego sets, he loves his Xbox game, and, uh, and loves his parents even more, however. In the video, children from lower-income backgrounds are presented with a gift for themselves and a gift for their parents. Then they were told that they must choose between the two. Video maker Rob Bliss says that 80% of the kids that he interviewed chose to give their gifts to their parents instead of keeping the toys that they were offered. One little guy, Aaron Freeman, nine years old, is showing the difference between having his Minecraft Lego set for himself or a fine piece of jewelry for his mother. It only takes him a moment for Aaron to know the answer. He said, Legos don't matter. He says it very confidently in the video. He says, your family matters, not Legos, not toys. It's your family. So it's either your family or Legos. And he says, I choose family. These kids really don't have that much, says Mr. Bliss. One of them told me how they don't have a Christmas tree because things have been tough financially for his family. Getting the gift he wants for Christmas is likely to be slim. So to be faced with the gift he always wanted but never got and still picking the gift for his family instead is utterly amazing. One parent said, we were touched by the selflessness displayed by our kids. You know, these moments reaffirm that even though they are young, they are strong givers. I want to read a passage of Scripture from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, we discover the church is just in its infancy stages. And the Bible says, and Luke is writing, and he says, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. You know, that would be my prayer for Hickory Ridge Community Church. That's my prayer for your church, that you'll be of, of one heart and one soul. Luke continues and says, Not one of them complained that anything belonged to them. They claimed that nothing was their own, but all things were in common property to them. And it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the abundant grace was upon them. Now, I've got a little side note that i got to add this in here, right? The more of God's grace you give away, the more you are given to share. Let me repeat that, right? The more of God's grace you give away, the more you are given to share. The reason this is so important. You may be thinking, I know somebody that God was very gracious to them. God forgave them. God restored some things that were broken. God God has brought back what the locust hath eaten. God has done an amazing thing for this person, through this person. But now this person is, is missing in action. They've abandoned the faith. You say, how in the world could that happen? It happens when we are large recipients of God's grace, but we don't give it away. We hoard it. Grace has never meant to be hoarded. And by hoarding God's grace, our theology will now 
follow our morality. I had a parent come to me not too long ago. says, I can't understand why my daughter, who was raised in the church, went off to a, a secular college and now has nothing to do with, with our faith. And I said, this is what has happened to your daughter. And I says, it happens over and over and over again. It's not that she has not an understanding of biblical theology. It is that her morality is now dictating her theology. When we fall away, it's not because the theology is weak or God's word is weak. It's because inside of us, our morality is dictating our view of God. And our view of God will be determined by how we live our lives. And as much as it pains me to say this, when a person leaves the faith, they're not really leaving the faith. They are following the desires of their heart. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 8, Jesus heals a guy. And he says, you have been healed freely. Now go share freely. You know, the church is not designed to have one group of givers and another group of takers. It is designed for all to freely give and all to freely receive. We discover in Acts chapter 4, the church not only is of one heart, one soul, not only are they exhibiting great power, they are sharing their abundance with them all. And verse number 34 says, There was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each according to their needs. So as we look at the joy of giving, right? Why were they of one heart and one soul? They shared some things. They shared common beliefs that connected them one to another. Because we give to others what we believe in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says, Paul is speaking, he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So the unity within the church is based upon common beliefs. That's why the belief of our church is so important. We must not dumb down our belief to accommodate those who do not adopt these beliefs. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, he knew the thoughts of those who were coming against him. Jesus can read the thoughts of others. Unfortunately, we can't. We think we know what other people are thinking, and oftentimes we are mistaken, right? But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. The church must be united around common beliefs. That's what connects us together. In Matthew 5, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from his heart. That's what defiles him. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, thief, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a person. You know, when you think about the vast majority of Americans, most Americans believe Jesus was a real person. They believe that he walked on the face of the earth. 
Even 87% of millennials agree that Jesus actually lived. You see, Americans are still very likely to believe in the man, Jesus Christ, who once walked on the earth. On the other hand, for non-Christians, those who are not really involved in reading the Bible, uh, those who are really not connected with an understanding of the Bible, they have a different view of Jesus. Oh, they believe he was a real person, but they don't believe that we could share his common beliefs. You see, they believe, for example, that the Bible has changed over time. Those who don't know Christ believe that the Bible has changed over time. And many Americans kind of feel this way about the Constitution, right? Uh, The Constitution should change with time. And many feel the same thing with the Bible. The Bible should change with time. But I want you to know that the Bible does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. Jesus said of God, I am the Lord your God, I do not change. You see, a common belief that keeps us together as believers is that we believe that Jesus is God, we believe that he is born of a virgin, and we believe that he is without sin, we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, and we believe that three days later, he rose again, he came back to life. So as we think about the early church, they were united by common beliefs, but they were also united by common shares. They connected by sharing with each other. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good, to share with others what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the church was more about what I can give than what I can get, the early church. You see, when I'm only after what I get, I never get enough. But when all about giving, I always have enough. I want to share with you briefly just five misconceptions that many people, even believers, have about money. Misconception number one, money is the root of all evil. Now, this quote has been attributed to the Bible, but it is, in fact, a misquote. Actually, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it's interesting as we look at this verse, Paul says, many, because of the love of money, have strayed from the faith because of their greediness. He doesn't say they strayed from their faith because of lack of proof or lack of truthfulness. They couldn't disprove the faith. They were leaving the faith because they had faith in money. They were driven by greed, and it actually pierces them with many sorrows. Did you know that 10% of the verses that record the words of Jesus, uh, there's 288 of them in all, 10% of these verses deal with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Now, I'm going to say something that may rub you the wrong way. But I do not believe a person is spiritually mature until they learn to put God first in their giving. You see, when you love money, you can't let it go. If you're driven with greed, you do everything you can to, to hang on to as much as you can. I know of Christians who have been Christians for decades. And never give. 
Uh, for some reason, they've explained it away. Uh, they've gone around these 2,000 verses that talk about money, and they, they believe they are mature, but they are really filled with greediness. Misconception number one, money is the root of all evil. Misconception number two is God needs my money or the church is going to fall, going to fail. Listen, God is not poor. He owns it all. When you give to God, you're not helping him out of a jam. In the book of Psalms, David quotes God as saying, I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't you love that? I like what Peter said to Simon Magus, who offered him money to buy the power of God. Peter said to him, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with your money. You see, God owns everything. He doesn't need our money. We are to give our money out of a sense of love and gratitude for all that God has given us. Paul put it this way. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, not out of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Well, misconception number three is, is that having enough money will make me happy. You see, the problem is, is that this target of enough keeps on moving. Financial guru Ken Roberts said that when he first began building his fortune, he thought that $1 million was a magic number. That once he hit that $1 million mark, that he'd be happy and would eliminate all of his worries. When he became a millionaire, he realized that he needed more than $1 million. He needed $5 million to be happy and have peace. When he finally got that nest egg and was worth $5 million, then the target changed to $10 million. Well, he finally realized that no amount ever would be enough. His peace of mind would have to come from something other than his bank account. And this is probably the greatest misconception that we have, that money brings happiness. I would say that almost every believer believes this misconception to some degree. Well, here's a fourth misconception about money and giving. Number four is that if I had enough money, I could do a lot of good. Right? This is one of those ideas that, that Amway was built upon, uh, that motivates people to work hard and to make more money. And, and they say, just, just think. Just think of all that you could do. You could help your church. You could help the needy. You could help other people if you had a lot of money. Well, I've got news for you. If you're not using what you have now to support your local church and help the poor, you're not going to start when you have more money. I read a recent survey that said that people, uh, as they were asked this question, what would you do with a million dollars? Nearly everyone said, I would give it to charity. Well, why wait till you get a million dollars? Why don't you do it when you get a hundred dollars? You see, you won't do it when you have a million if you can't do it when you have a hundred. Misconception number five about money is that God doesn't want me to have money. You know, some people teach that there is a certain spirituality found in being poor. They go to Jesus' command to the, to the rich young ruler and the fact that he owns it all, and he was told to sell it all and give it to the poor. But remember, Jesus said this only once, and he said it to a man who is obsessed with money. You had other followers who appear to have been very affluential. In the Old Testament, David, Solomon, Job, and Abraham, they were all wealthy. You see, God doesn't insist that you become poor. 
but he does insist that you have the right attitude toward money. So what is the right attitude about money? Well, Jesus said this, Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. How did the early church and how can we take the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and bring them to heart and actually follow them? In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35, we discovered that large crowds were gathered around and Jesus is teaching them. And from this teaching, we learn some valuable principles about money. I'm going to give them to you pretty quick, okay? We learn, first of all, from this teaching that they released their grip on things. As they gave, it helped them to release this grip on things. Not one of them claimed anything that they owned. Giving is that true sense of having. I'm releasing something, and then I'm actually enjoying the fact that I released it because it releases my grip on materialism. Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has enough, but whoever has this love of wealth is never satisfied with income. And Solomon says, this too is meaningless. You see, everybody says they need just one thing. What they really mean is that they mean they need just one more thing. Somebody put it like this. I struggled with what God called me to do with my life. As a very young person, because I wanted to be a rich businessman, I even tried to justify my desires by saying, I'll generally support the church and those who are in mission for God. That's a statement that I made. That's a statement of my early life, that I thought that I could be a generous person by living in disobedience with my life and disobedience with what God blessed me with. It was finally when I released my grip on on this desire for material things that God began to bless me beyond my wildest expectations. There's something else. Not only did they loosen their grip on material things, they also loosened their belt. They made a sacrifice for those who were not as fortunate as they were. In Matthew 19, 24, Jesus says, If you wish to complete the law... Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, this is radical. You know, Have you ever sold something and given the proceeds to God's work? Have you ever sacrificed to bless God? In Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, we're wrong and think if I give something, I'm going to lose something. But Jesus says, when you give a cup of cold water in his name, you're not going to lose your reward. You're going to gain your reward. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Solomon also says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to God and God will repay him for his deeds. Well, there's one final thing we had to look at today. We discovered that the early church released their grip on materialism. They loosened up their belts so they could give sacrificially to those who are in need. 
they also gave their all. Amy Carmichael said, You can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Giving to bless others. Giving their all. And by doing that, they experienced God's great power. You know, when you give everything over to the Lord, God gives you His power. The Apostle Paul experienced that very personally in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, that I asked the Lord to take this thorn of my flesh away from me on three occasions, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to just boast all the more on my weaknesses, because when I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm weak, the power of Christ rests upon me. Well, maybe today as you look at your life, you said, man, I I have a hard time when it comes to this matter of giving. I'm going to pray that God will work in your heart in such a way that you will discover the joy of giving, the joy of sacrificially giving to the lives of others so that you can live in full obedience to what God wants you to do with all that he has blessed you with. So Lord, help us to take this teaching today not only have it in our our heads, but allow it to drop down in our hearts. Change our hearts so that we can be joyful givers. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.